You knew yourself, surely? There is no reason for me to involve myself with children. As you will recall, isn't it the fourth time now? My father never busied himself with me. Left me to grow up with all my own perfections and none of his imperfections. He was fond of telling me on the rare occasion when he saw me that all my faults were of my own making and owed nothing to him. Perhaps Burke and Ariel will have children, then I shall become a distant but doting uncle. Now, my dear Daniela, pour me another cup of tea, then remove that annoying peignoir, or this food and conversation have appealed to my baser hunger. Near Brussels, Belgium, September 1814. Tristan Monroe Winthrop hummed as he quickened his pace. He was a man pleased with his own cunning and his success. He thought of Lily waiting for him with his children, and he nearly broke into a trot. He'd been gone but three days, yet he missed them all. Of course, missing his children wasn't quite the same as missing Lily. Beautiful Lily, who would soon be his wife. He'd used his children as levers, shamelessly, he admitted to himself now, and it had worked. His children and the fact that she'd had no other choice, not really. Not yet twenty, and on her own in a foreign city, her father's funeral to pay for, his effect to be seen to. Her father, Baron Markham, that incredibly unlucky gambler, had been his friend. Tristan had saved him not once but several times from gaming hells that would have taken his beautiful daughter as payment for his debts, without his consent. He'd just keeled over, clutching his chest, Lily standing there watching him, at first not understanding, then staring at him, tears streaming down her cheeks. He'd lived another two days, then he'd died and left her with nothing save the clothes in her armoire. But Triss had been there to help her. She liked him, loved his children, and they her. He'd invited her to live with him and the children, and of course she'd refused, until he'd changed his tune and requested her services as their governess. It wasn't until two months ago that she'd agreed to marry him. By that time, he'd proved to her that he had no disgusting habits, that he was possessed of a modicum of intelligence and wit, and his children, bless them, had wrapped themselves firmly around her loyal and giving heart. Lily Tremaine, a girl so beautiful it nearly took your breath away just to look at her, her eyes were pale grey, calm and serene, but the calmness was a mask, a carefully tended facade, he was certain of it. Loyal, brave Lily. He still held clear the mental picture he had of her, as she and the children had waved goodbye to him. He would very much like to tell her that he'd succeeded beyond his wildest expectations, but he couldn't. Lily, he'd come to realize, had this odd streak of honesty that was occasionally disconcerting particularly given the fact that her father had been a grand scoundrel, albeit an unlucky one. Of course, he had no intention of telling his children that their father was a thief, not just any kind of common thief, of course, but a master thief and a master strategist, and ruthless, at least this time. According to his calculations, Monk and Boy should be well ensconced in prison by now. The bribes had been large enough to make him pause, but it was worth it. Indeed it was. No more of those cold, conscienceless bastards to haunt him. He was almost to the small two-story house on Avenue La Rouge. It was a quiet street, poplar trees lining each side, respectable in the extreme, but to his newly sharpened tastes, much too poor for his soon-to-be higher status in life. 
Nothing would be beyond him now. At the age of thirty-seven, he at last savoured success, lasting success. He hadn't killed anybody, hadn't even hurt anybody. Monk and boy didn't count. He was now rich, so bloody rich, but it boggled even his wonderfully inventive mind. When he heard the harsh words behind him, "'Ye filthy bloody bastard!' he turned only fractionally. When the knife struck him in the back, deep and smooth in one single thrust, he had no idea what had happened. He felt a sharp chill and shivered, quickening his pace. Then horribly he heard another voice and recognized it as Monk's, low and mean and frightening as hell. "'All right, boy, oh, you'll pay. But first, what have you done with the sparklers?' Tristan couldn't believe his ears. He turned slowly to face his erstwhile partner, Monk, a man who had the look of an early 18th-century pirate, dark and ugly. Monk, he said.